And I pray that is your prayer, that as we proclaim the Word of God each and every week, that your desire is that God is glorified and He's revealing Himself until every single soul that is here is willing to confess Christ as their Lord, confess Him as their Savior. As we're gathering here tonight, continuing our series on the four fundamental loves of the church, these fundamental loves that are necessary for a church to be what God wants it to be, I want you to understand that as we're focusing on these, that our ultimate purpose in all of this is that we would do this all for the glory of God, to honor the name of Jesus, to honor His name in our lives, to honor His name in this church, to honor His name in this community in which we live. Because as God's Word says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all things for the glory of God. So tonight we're going to continue the series, and if you would like to stand as we read God's Word from the Gospel of John once again, John chapter 13, John chapter 13, we'll look at these two verses to begin with, and verses 34 and 35, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father, as we gather tonight, Lord, we do pray as we were just singing, that you will show us Christ that he will be glorified, that, Lord, our hearts will be transformed by your grace, by your word, by your spirit, teaching us, instructing us, encouraging us, convicting us, conforming us into the image of our Savior. Lord, just do a work here that only you can do. And Lord, again, if there's anyone that would be here tonight that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that today and this evening would be the day of their salvation, that you would open their hearts and they would truly call out to you, come to you. We love you, Lord, and we lift this all up in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight as we focus our time together in God's Word, we're going to be considering the third love of the four that I've mentioned to you over the last several weeks. Obviously, the one we've been studying on Sunday mornings is our love for the Savior. Last Sunday night when we gathered together, we talked about how important it is and how fundamental it is for us to be the church and for you to be the Christian that God would want you to be, is that you have a love for the Scriptures. Tonight, we're going to focus on our love for the saints. Maybe you would call it a love for the sheep, or just a love for one another. It's love in the body of Christ. And specifically for us, it would be, it would start here, at East Gina Baptist Church, a love that we have for one another 
is a part of the body of Christ, those who identify here with East Gina Baptist Church, that we have a genuine love for one another. And it's important that we have that love because as we're going to see as we begin tonight in these two verses, this love for one another, this love for the saints, is something that makes a statement. It proclaims something to the world around us. It proclaims that we are followers of Christ. It proclaims that we are one of His. If you will, drop your eyes back again to God's Word where Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you. What is that commandment? That you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In verse 35, by this, all men will know, all men, that is everyone around us, everyone in this community, everyone in your family, every one of your friends, all of your neighbors, everyone will know that you are my disciples if this is true if you have love for one another. Jesus is making it very clear how important this love is. That this love testifies to all people. It testifies to everyone around us. And it testifies to our following of Christ, of our being a disciple of Christ. And just to drive this home with you a little more, I want you to turn over with me to 1 John. Turn to 1 John. It's amazing how much John the Apostle picked up on what Jesus was teaching in regards to love. He is, and a lot of times, as we've talked about before, he is the Apostle of love. And he keeps bringing these types of things home. And we have seen where he spoke about love for the Savior, a love for the Scriptures. And now we're going to look at this evening together in 1 John how he speaks about our love for the saints, our love for one another testifies to our salvation. It testifies to our following of Christ. Look where we need to begin with in chapter 2. Verse 7, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's interesting for John to say here, the one who hates his brother is in the darkness. And if you remember from a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about your love for Jesus is to be the priority of your life and it is fundamental to your faith in Him unto salvation that we saw where Jesus said, if you don't hate your brother, you can't be my disciple. John is now saying, if you hate your brother, then you're not a disciple. Are they contradicting one another? No. 
As we talked about when Jesus was saying that, he was just making it known to them that their love for him had to supersede all other loves. And what John is speaking about here is even in some sense a practical love, a concern, a care for your fellow brother and sister, your fellow brother and sister in Christ, that if you're abiding, you're living in the light, you're living in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what will come forth is a love for one another. Continue, if you will, go over to chapter 3 of 1 John. Chapter 3. Verse 11. Let's just pick it up in verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, and we know who Cain is from the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 4, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know, and again, read carefully here, verse 14, here's what we know. We know that we have passed out of death into life. That is, just paraphrase that, he's saying we know that we've been born again. We know that we have been brought from spiritual death to spiritual life and we have been born again and we have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that is a true, loving, saving, genuine faith. Because we love the brethren. You see, that's what testified about Cain, that Cain really wasn't a true child of God. We saw immediately after the fall There are two boys born in the same home, raised in the same home. Both men are religious. Both men are hard workers. Both men have noble occupations in what they do. And yet one of them was of the devil and one of them was of God. Abel was of God and Cain was of the devil. That's what he means here when he says he was of the evil one. He was not a true child of God. And he demonstrated that ultimately in rising up to kill his brother instead of loving him. Everyone, verse 15, who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now again, when you read some of these statements that John makes... It's not to say that someone who has committed murder could never have eternal life. And really, if you go back and you look at it, David, King David, was a murderer. He had a man killed to cover up his sin of immorality. And yet, God said, he was a man after my own heart. David was a sinner. But what... John is getting across here is again your love for your brethren. Verse 16, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We can look over in chapter 4 for a moment. Go to chapter 4 of 1 John. John just keeps repeating some of the same themes. 
If you've ever read through 1 John, if you've ever studied 1 John, he keeps just repeating some of the very same things, driving this home. And the reason why he was doing that is because he wanted to assure the people that they did have eternal life because they were concerned and they were confused about some things because there had been some people who had come among them that began to teach some things that weren't right and began to challenge some things that were according to God's word. And then they went out from them. And John says, well, the reason why they really went out from you is because they were never really a part of you. That is a truly a part of the people of God. So in chapter 4, look down in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And everyone who loves, notice this in verse 7, is born of God. Everyone who loves knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. That's very clear. The person who has been born of God loves. This love that is from God. Not this humanistic love. Not this sentimentality. But a true genuine love that comes from God. Because God is love. And it manifests itself in a love for one another. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Look at verse 12 of chapter 4. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Down in verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Or down in verse 20 and 21, if someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Beloved, it's very clear from God's word, whether it's from the lips of Jesus over in the gospel of John, or it's from the pen of John in his epistle, his first epistle, that our love for one another is critical because it testifies to other people of our love for Christ. It testifies that we are born of God. It testifies that we are one of his children. Let's look at another aspect of this. If you will, go back with me to where we were in John chapter 13 for a moment. We'll probably come back to 1 John in a moment, but go back to John 13. Because I want you to see that this love is to be patterned after Jesus' love for us. If you're wondering what this love should be like, read again Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Go over to chapter 15 of John for a moment. Verse 12. Again, maybe this is where John picks it up because Jesus seems to be repeating some some of the same things as well. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another 
how, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one that lay down his life for his friends. Verse 17, this I command you, that you love one another. Well, this is serious to Jesus. This is, this is a priority to him. Because he knows how the body of Christ functions together and their love for one another sends a message to the community around it. And he says, look, love each other the way I loved you. Love each other the way I have loved you. And how did Jesus love them? And how does Jesus love us? Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus saw us and saw that we had a need, a spiritual need that we could not meet. We were hopeless and helpless to meet it. And he was willing to come and to meet it. He was willing to come and to live the life that we needed to be lived. He was willing to come and to go to the cross where he would be the one that would be the substitute for our sins. Jesus met our needs. Beloved, that's what he's calling on from us. If you will, for a moment, go back again to 1 John chapter 3. Just go back again to 1 John chapter 3. Because what I want us to see is that when we love one another, we're to love one another in words, and we're to love one another in our deeds. Our words and our deeds. Over in 1 John chapter 3. Pick it up again, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him and whatever our heart condemns us for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. John here is saying we, we need to love each other. It, one aspect of our loving each other is we love each other in our words. The words that come from our mouth towards each other. The words that come from our mouth about each other. They, sh- they should be loving. They should be edifying. They should be strengthening the words that we would express to one another, verbal or written, but also in the deeds that we have towards one another, meeting each other's physical needs when they're there, but also, beloved, meeting each other's spiritual needs when they're there. Think about how Jesus loves us. Think about how Jesus loved his disciples when he was here walking among them. Did he not encourage them with his words? Did he not reprove them with his words? Did he not rebuke them at times with his words? Did he not admonish them at times with his words? Did he not forgive them? Did he not correct them? Did he not instruct them? Did he not show patience with them? Beloved, this is the example Jesus has left for us and he has explicitly told us, love one another the way I have loved you. And just think about the disciples. He's speaking directly to his disciples who have spent around three years with him, nearly every day, 
And He has walked with them and He has been showing through His words and through His deeds His love for them. Beloved, this is how we are to love one another. A patience, a forgiving, instruction, correction, encouragement, and yes, at times, admonishment, reproof, rebuke. Jesus was never unloving. He was always loving. It wasn't unloving for Jesus to refer to Peter as Satan when he did. That was a loving thing for him to do because he needed to get Peter's thinking straight. Remember, this is when Jesus was telling him, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to be put to death. And Peter says, may that never be. He had no, he was not thinking of the mission of Christ. He was thinking about his own personal agenda at that point. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That was the thing Peter needed to hear because he needed to be awakened to what it was he was really saying. He needed to be rebuked. He needed for Jesus to reprove him at that time. And sometimes we all need that. We all need it. But Christ was very patient with them. Patient with their struggles, patience with their uh, some, just inability to understand what he was doing. And beloved, we have to be patient with one another. Tolerant with one another. Not tolerant of sin, but just tolerant with one another. A patience, a kindness, a gentleness that is there. This is a part of our love for one another, patterning it after Jesus. But let me just share one other aspect of this love for one another. Our love for one another needs to be, if it hasn't become clear to you in reading through 1 John and then John chapter 13 and then John chapter 15, this love needs to be a priority in our life. And let me give you very quickly, because I know you're thinking, okay, look at your watch, Pastor. Some have, some have accused me of turning it upside down so I can't see it, but I can still see it. Let me give you three quick ways that our love for one another needs to manifest itself in our priorities. The first one I call just praying for one another. Praying for one another. And there's two ways that manifests itself. It shows itself. It should show itself in our praises to God on behalf of one another and our petitions to God on behalf of one another. That is, you should be praying to God on behalf of all the people that are sitting around you. And you should be praising God for them. And you should be petitioning God on their behalf. I want us to see this. Turn with me for just a moment. Turn over to the, the book of Philippians. You're going to know where the book of Philippians is here not too long. But Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. And go to just Philippians chapter 1 for a moment. Verse 9. Here is Paul petitioning God on behalf of the church at Philippi. And this was a common prayer for Paul for the churches 
that he loved and he cared for and he had a relationship with. And verse 9, he says, this I pray. What is he praying? I'm praying that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. This was a part of his petitions. If you will, for a moment, turn over to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Just turn to 1 Thessalonians. We could go to several places and look, see this with Paul, but 1 Thessalonians is a good book just to look at because we'll see Paul's petitions and Paul's praises. Again, go to chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and... Again, he's talking about his prayers to God. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Look over in chapter 4 for a moment. Look down at verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Here is Paul petitioning God for them, and here is Paul pleading with them to excel even more in your love for one another. But this is what, when Paul would hear reports about churches, and he would hear of their love growing, he just said, I can't help but to praise God for you and for what God's doing among you. In fact, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of, your, of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and your labor of love. We just remember how you love one another. And I just continually making mention of you in my prayers. I'm just thanking God for the love that is there in the body of Christ of the church at Thessalonica. Go over to 2 Thessalonians for a moment. Verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. What you have here in 2 Thessalonians is Paul acknowledging God answering his prayers from 1 Thessalonians. We read there in 1 Thessalonians where he says, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more, that you will excel even more in your love for one another. Paul gets a report from them and he says, I can't help but to give thanks to God for you because your love for each, each one of you, the love, read that carefully, verse 3, the love of each one of you Every single member of the church of Thessalonica, your love toward one another just grows ever greater. That's why it should be a priority in our prayers for one another. But secondly, let me just say this, it needs to be a priority in our pride for one another. 
Read on there. Verse 4, therefore, which ties it back to exactly what he was talking about. In verse 3, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. If there's ever anything we ought to be talking about when we gather together as a pastor, if I'm sitting with other pastors or you're sitting with other people from other churches, one of the things that you want to have pride in is in regards to one another is that we have love for one another that is just growing greater. That if someone asks me, Pastor, how's your church doing? Oh, let me tell you about our church. It is a wonderful church where their faith is just growing greater and greater and their love for one another is just growing greater and greater. Notice Paul didn't mention the financial success of the church. He didn't even mention the baptism of the church. He just says, I can't help but talk about you when I'm with other churches and when I tell them about you, this is what I tell them, that your faith is growing, that as the pressure comes on this church at Thessalonica, they don't buckle with it. They just stand with God, stand with his word. They love the Lord Jesus Christ and they love one another and that love it's just overflowing out of their life and let me just tell you about them and what they're doing this is what we want to testify this is what we want to have pride in that sense not a sinful pride a a, a sanctified pride a pride for one another he says there I speak proudly of you among the other churches and finally I would say it's in your practicing toward one another, your behavior towards one another, that this should be a priority. We've seen it in 1 John. We've seen it in John, the pattern that is there, Jesus' love for us. I won't go into all of it here tonight, but even in our behavior towards one another, we, we express love for one another even how we use the freedoms that we have in Christ. Not freedoms as an American. Freedoms that we have in Christ. Just for a moment. Supper's not going to burn. We've got a few more minutes. Turn to the book of Romans for just a moment. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We could go to two, three other places. But in Romans 14, verse 13, he says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in our brother's way. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. 
All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. The context here, you can go back to the opening verses of chapter 14 and, and what it was is some were saying, well, you, you can't eat meat. And some were saying, no, you can't eat meat. And Paul's just saying, look, you really have a freedom in Christ if you want to eat meat or you don't want to eat meat. It's not a sin either way. And that's a sin if you violate your conscience about it. If you think it's unclean to do it and sinful to do it and you go ahead and do it, that's a sin. But what he's saying is is that as you live with one another, you want to take into consideration how you live your life and how it may be a stumbling block to other people. So you want to live in such a way that you use the freedoms and what you have to show love and, and preference for someone else. We could look over at 1 Corinthians 10, Galatians 5 that deal with this. But let me just wrap it up this way. But our love for each other, it's critical. It is critical to our effectiveness as a church. Because we want our family. We want our friends. We want just the people around us to know that we're disciples of Jesus. And we want to give them a clear picture of Jesus' love for us. We want to give them a clear testimony. The love of Jesus is what we want them to come to know and experience and by, by faith come to him. So I pray as we think about this that this will become your pattern. You'll think about the proclamation of what it is. It will be your priority. Priority in your prayers, priority in your pride in what you say, a priority in your practices. Tonight again as we close, I just want us to close with a time of reflection and just personal response before the Lord.